questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Tonight we bring you someone many of you have requested for many years. I'm referring to Dr. Bill Teagle, a controversial figure in the genre of alternative health and parapolitics. Dr. Deagle can discuss any topic under the sun. He speaks fast, erudite. Some people tell me they have to slow down the audio in order for them to understand and to get the information to sink in when they listen to him. I decided to finally bring him on because he certainly has a lot to discuss. And part two is filled with truth bombs. Dr. Deagle means well, has a very colorful personality. Among many topics, we discuss DNA biochip, the real mark of the beast, history of cataclysms, and what may be coming, designer viruses and pandemics, and more. Stay with us and listen to both parts, especially part two. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for Focused Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas Seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel Fabregas. Dr. Bill Deagle is a host with Michelle Deagle of the Nutri-Medical Report. He teaches in the Academy of Anti-Aging and Environmental Medicine, presenting papers and research on topics from functional metabolic anti-aging medicine to radiotoxicology. His background includes biochemistry, nuclear physics, oceanographic bacterial genetics, and training in family, internal, emergency, trauma, burn, and surgical, as well as intensive care medicine. He has worked as a physician with government research on Operation Topoff and Dark Winter in Colorado, on radiological and bioterrorism prevention and logistics response planning. Dr. Deagle has had high-level security clearance to work at classified projects as a physician for technicians and scientists, as well as military officers, special forces, and the special munitions chemical forensics team that examined the Alfred P. Murrah building after the bombing at Oklahoma City in 1995. His experience as a physician for military and U.S.-based command, NORAD, and advanced special projects have given him a new perspective in terms of clandestine projects and the need for bioprotection of U.S. and world populations. His website is NutriMedical.com. Dr. Bill Deagle joins us directly from Southern California. Hello, Dr. Deagle, and welcome to Veritas. Welcome. I want to start off with a prayer. Um, uh, the things you're going to hear today may shock you uh, intellectually and spiritually, but I want you to do three things. The first thing I want you to do is open up your heart and uh, be willing to ask questions that take you out of your uh, current paradigm. 
Number two, I want you to pray on what you hear, to hear uh, the Urim and Thummim stones and everyone's soul like the breastplate of the high priest to tell you if it's true or not. Don't believe everything you hear, but when you pray on it, you believe your soul when it tells you if it's true, even if it's shocking. And number three, once you hear the truth, to take action. Take action intellectually, prayerfully, and in legally and otherwise, because we are at the time of the end of secular human history on earth, and there's a transition to a new age, a new world, and the human race and the human civilization is about to transition to become a galactic civilization. And I am a forerunner of that, and I'm going to explain things to people today. And you can ask me a question on any area of human activity on earth, medicine, science, technology, geopolitics, spirituality, and above top secret. And even if I'm not trained in that area, God will inspire me to give you a breakdown of the problem instantly and an answer to almost any problem you have or issue with technology and issues and an enlightenment, I call it a geopolitical, intellectual, and spiritual manna to save our population of humans on earth, to save our governments on earth, to serve the Most High God, and to save the human race as we head toward an apocalypse of destruction and death as the terminator of the human race is here to end the ability of us to transition to become a galactic civilization. So today, your eyes are going to be open like you've never heard before. You're going to hear things today that you never could imagine could exist on earth, but someone like me has to show up because this is the end of the age that Jesus, God incarnate, came on earth. There's not three gods, there's one. God, Jesus, is the Father in the flesh, Yahashua HaMashiach. That's what it means. It doesn't mean there's three gods. God, the Father, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus. Jesus is God incarnate. And you have to understand, who is Dr. Bill Deagle? Well, I'm just going to give a little bit of a, a history of who I am. I was de delivered 68 years ago on February 15th, which is five minutes after midnight at Providence Hospital in, in uh, Detroit, Michigan, by Dr. Ollie's dead on arrival. I was covered with a golden veil. They put me in a little transfer to the morgue, and I came back, and they said, well, he'll probably die in the ICN, and I didn't. Eight and a half years later, I was playing, of course, as most kids do, and I was at, my mother is, of course, from North Dakota, Fargo. My father was from Canada, so I was raised in Truro, and a French surgeon decided to cut an artery in my throat with a guillotine when he was trying to take out my tonsil, I remember floating up, up the, above the operating room table and trying to talk to the doctors and nurses. Now, I was always a very inquisitive kid. I started to cause parents and adults to cringe at my questions, even though I was three and four. So I talked to them, and they didn't answer me. So I started walking toward the operating room doors. And before you know it, I turned right, and I could see the nursery. And the babies were real quiet. They're all bound real tight. But then one started crying, and all of them. And all of a sudden, everything felt like I was being scrunched to a pinhole, and crimson intersecting lines surrounded me. And I was flying down this tunnel of light so fast it was hurting my arms and legs. I thought, my gosh, I'm gonna, I'm in pain. And I cried, where am I? And all of a sudden, I appeared to slow down, and I was in a place of clouds. And across in a place of clouds, when a, chasm, a cloud chasm appeared in a little wooden bridge, was Yeshua HaMashiach, Yeshua Jesus, God in the flesh. And he appeared as a tall man, over six foot, very slim, big muscles, big hands. Uh, you could tell he had a white tunic on with a broad golden sash and a double-corded belt over his middle, a golden margin on it, and he had sandals on that, that looked like sandals, but they shone like brass. He had, he had holes in his wrists and ankles, and he had his beard pulled out in chunks and vertical lines over his large forehead, and he had his beard pulled out in chunks like he'd been tortured. And he looked at me with these kind of large greenish eyes. He had a, 
a very, what do you call it? He looked like a, a, if you want to call it like a Viking with an olive colored skin. And I said to him, and of course I spoke to him telepathically. I said, where am I? And I would put my hand on the wooden bridge and I was about to cross over. And as I was about to cross, he said, do not cross over. The silver cord will break. I said, what is that? He said, I'll bring it into your imagination. I saw as I went down the tunnel of light, there was a silver cord that went, he said, from my pineal gland that connects your physical body to your soul and the hyperdimensional plane of consciousness. And I said, well, I said, where am I? He said, you're at the gates of paradise and heaven. Nothing evil can come here. And everything you think is. And I said, can you show me? And all of a sudden, he's holding my hand. And we're flying over the Golden City and going through the landscapes and eating amazing fruits and foods and seeing the beautiful landscape and animals. He brought me to tens of thousands of worlds. And I'm now, this year, permitted to start talking about this. I didn't tell the nuns when I came back out of isolation because when I had my tonsillectomy, here's what happened. As I finished my exposure to all these tens of thousands of worlds, which if it would lineal time would be equivalent to being with God for 500 years. I know things no other humans ever talked about, written about, wrote a poem about, or anything in human history. And I've hidden that knowledge for 60 years. I told some of the things I was told that I was permitted to talk about. One of them was, for example, one I told the nuns when I came out of isolation after my recovery, which was very close to death. And what happened is I said, look, uh, he, he looked at me and he said, well, I've shown you all these things and I'm back on my side of the clouds and he's on his side. I said, he said, well, what do you want to do? And he speak to me telepathically. I think, well, I, I, he said, you want to go back? I said, oh, I love heaven. I love being with you, God. I love you, God. He said, that's good. He said, but he looked disappointed. Like I, I he said, well, I want to do the right thing. He said, I'll show you. And all of a sudden he didn't appear as Yeshua Jesus. He appeared as the father. And he had a blue talisman. Now, remember, I'm of Hebrew descent, of Hebrew and Kohanim descent. And I'll get into that in a moment. But all of a sudden, I'm about 400 miles above the earth. My little Johnny shirt spattered with blood. And he had blood spattered on his on his blue talus with the purple tassels. And he appeared to the father with white hair. And he pointed toward the earth. And I heard a voice behind us that said, Behold the voice of the seven thunders. And I looked down and I could see fireballs rising off the earth. I said, oh, great, a light show. I thought he's going to show me something cool. And he looked at me really angry, like, you don't get a kid. I think, oh, better be quiet. And I heard another behold, and all of a sudden, they turned into mushroom clouds, especially over the lower 48 United States. I saw tsunamis striking the coast at a mile high. I saw buildings falling like dominoes. I saw mothers slitting the throats of their children so they wouldn't live another day. I saw human cannibalism. I saw horrors as magma opened up in the oceans and giant clouds rose. I saw a shroud crossing the course horizon and like a meteor storm striking the earth. And I was crying so hard because I saw these horrors of death and destruction and people literally holding up their hands in a flash of light. All of a sudden, they would disappear into a vapor cloud. Their cells would instantly turn into dust as they exploded with superheated steam. And I cried, so why are you showing me this? It makes me cry right now, and I think. And he swung around, and he held my little hands in his big hands. And he said, at the time of the end, you will know. And you will tell my people. And all of a sudden, I'm back on my side of the clouds, and he's on his side. He said, what is your decision? And I said, I love you so much, God. I want to do your will. He said, no, if you go back and you do evil, I will destroy you. I will annihilate you. And I said, I love you so much, God. I will go back in spite of the danger of losing my place in your eternal kingdom. 
And he started to cry. And he said, not since your ancestor Moshe, because I'm a blood descendant, has anybody said to me, take my name from the book of life, and for this reason, when you do evil, I will shake your ugly human carcass and make you a son again and a servant. And I said, may your will be done, God. And all of a sudden, the silver cord became like a taut wire. I remember flying down the tunnel of light and waking up with an ether max shoved in my face. And 18 hours later, I came out of coma with blood going in me because I was I bled to death. And I was kept in isolation at home. I couldn't even leave my bedroom hardly for three months. So I told the nuns. I, they told the Monsignor. I told the Archbishop. And they sent it on to the Vatican. So when I graduated from medical school in 1977 from Dalhousie in Halifax, Nova Scotia, a sister of Harvard, the Vatican sent a priest to invite me to become a, a doctor for the Pope and the Cardinals. And you have to understand who Deagle is. My ancestor 2,800 years ago was a lineal blood descendant of the only Kohenim line of the 24 families were direct blood descendants of Moses. And when they were in captivity in Esfahan, which is near the Bashar reactor right now, Esfahan, which is the capital of media, my ancestor married the daughter of the king of the Medes, and in honoring the tribe, he took on their tribal name and changed the name of the family to the Naimas, N-E-I-M-A. And so the Naami, which became later the Magi, these are the astrologers that actually knew about the coming of Yeshua, were my ancestors that gave the gifts to Yeshua, my ancestor was also one of the members of the Sanhedrin with Joseph Arimathea as his friend, who is the uncle of Mary. So that my ancestor 2,000 years ago in the Sanhedrin received a written, a verbal prophecy directly from Yeshua, because he was a believer in Yeshua being God in the flesh, that one of their descendants would become a prophet as Moses at the time of the end of secular history and would raise and become a Lamed to bring other prophets together and apostles, the last 12, because the first 12 were the ones that he found in the last 12, he would bring a mosaic prophet to bring the last 12 together before his coming back to marry the human race and make us the queen of the heavens. Not heaven in eternity, but the heavens of all the galaxies. And that prophecy was passed through my family for 2,000 years, and 100 years ago, my uncle, Michael, who owned a publishing house in Beirut, published the allegory based on this written prophecy passed through my family called Khalil Gibran's book, The Prophet. Now, I heard about this when I was 14, just months after I had been attacked by a priest because I was a high altar boy in the Catholic Church, serving mass six days a week. He tried to rape me in the vestment room. He's a big boy, six foot six, come back from missions. So I punched him in the stomach and ran. And when I got home, my father beat me unconscious for saying that the priest would do this to me. So I wouldn't go to church, but I knew God was real because I had a personal experience when I was eight. So what people have to understand who is, my uncle told me this, my grandfather's oldest brother about this ancient document passed through my family. This was anonymous. And I said, well, I didn't know this was all really, or I had a calling until 1985 because I had been bought my practice in 1980 from the Mormon prophet's daughter's husband's brother. So I had 22,500 Mormons in Calgary, Alberta. Now, I had training in internal medicine and family medicine. I'd done every kind of surgery you can imagine, worked in the intensive care, etc. And so in 1980, when I bought my practice, I went directly from residency, directly into practice with 22,500 Mormons. I took care of the Temple Mormons in Calgary, which has about 10% of the population of Calgary are Mormon. 
I also got to have direct contact with the high-level Mormons in Salt Lake City. People may or may not know this, but the Salt Lake City Temple has an actual altar and throne room for Satan in the in the uh, throne room, and they are doing human sacrifice. People need to know this. Every high-level Mormon is a high-level Mason that worships Lucifer. Okay, you have to know that's the truth. It's not a delusion. And I've I had studied the, you know, the Pearl of Great Price and the uh, and the all the Mormon doctrine, doctrine and covenants, etc. So I understand everything. In fact, what they I was taught enough to actually be given a temple recommend. And they wanted to convert me to become a stake bishop because they knew the, uh, they knew that there was something special about Deagle. The Deagle was going to do something that had not normal, but superhuman abilities. Well, let me interject for a second, if, if you don't mind. Does the common Mormon know about this? No, the common Mormon doesn't. They're just like the per- porch Catholic. Poor Catholic, okay. A lot of Catholics are, are well-intentioned. They're good people right. and they're often very pro-life. In fact, they're more pro-life than the most uh, average Protestants. Um, I'll give you a little bit of my story. When I first met my first wife, uh, Denise, within a month after we got married in the mid-70s, she became very sick with stage 5, very aggressive multiple sclerosis. And they gave her ACTH months later because she was so badly hit, it paralyzed her from the neck, and she could only move her left arm. She became blind, unable to swallow properly, so I had to resuscitate her and pull her tongue out to prevent her from blocking her airway numerous times, and literally had to carry her around or put her in a wheelchair. A month later, they told me she was pregnant, and if she didn't have an abortion, she was going to die just from the pregnancy alone. Now, I was pro-life. I was raised Catholic. But my professors, including my director of surgery, said, if you don't do it, she's just going to die. This is going to kill her. She's not even going to deliver a baby. She'll die from this because she's got the most aggressive MS pretty well we've ever seen. And so we cried, and we passed, signed the papers, and she had an abortion. Now, I wanted to do research, at U- and I was accepted at the Santa Monica VA Hospital and UCLA to do research in the World MS Tissue Brain Bank and Electron Microscopy Lab 42 years ago in 1978. And they said when I met Dr. Tortolot, I had the highest IQ of any candidate they'd ever had. It was measured in grade 9 over 200, well over 200. So they said, we want you to run the World MS Tissue Brain Bank and Electron Microscopy Lab, but they want you to work on a project with DARPA. Now, they're using technology we now call CRISPR, but they were going to take female fetuses and grow them in an artificial uterus and insert genes from actin myosins from jackals that are 12 times stronger than a human, use a nanotech by a helmet to actually convert thoughts to onboard commands to bidirectional access to their hearing and sight, and be able to actuate weapons by thought. They already had in Dr. They already had a, a machine in Dr. Tortolot's office that was a liquid nitrogen magnetronic helmet, an F-14 fighter that was mocked up so we could fly the jet by thought and fire off ordinances by thought. This is already, MindLink was already available through DARPA back then. Are you talking about chimeras and biocomputers here? Yes. They were getting chimera female fetuses that would have the actin myosis genes of jackals, so a 140-pound female could carry a 500-pound backpack over 50 miles an hour and jump 50 feet and would have the reflexes of a jaguar in the sight of an eagle and would be covered by nanotech body armor and we connected as a cyborg warrior swarm. Now, because I had uh, numerous contacts back many years ago after this happened, okay, uh, what happened is and I, I turned them down. I said, no way am I going to do this research. So I turned down working with Dr. Tortolot at UCLA and DARPA. 
but I was required to go to do a residency. My wife had gone with her sister to Calgary, Alberta, so I decided I'll go from Los Angeles, where I was going to do my PhD and, and science doctorate and research with DARPA, to Calgary. And I had down a year of internal medicine at the Vancouver General, but I decided to do two years of family medicine in Calgary. And I was a top resident of all three hospitals in Calgary. It's a big city. It's larger than the surface area of Los Angeles. And very fast growing, very high income. About 10% of the people are are Americans and one of the highest incomes on the planet in Calgary, based on the oil industry. So what happened is um, part of my job as a resident at the Calgary General Hospital was I had to help Dr. Um, Mata do abortions on a Friday. Now, I'm a very efficient surgeon. I did 40 total hips before I graduated medical school in 77, and I kick aside the senior resident and did the entire surgery myself. I'm a very efficient surgeon. I've done every kind of surgery except open heart and brain surgery, everything. Trauma, burn unit, plastics, orthopedics, general surgery, I've done everything. I worked in a burn unit in 87, 88 in Augusta, Georgia, and ICU for decades all over the place. So here I was, uh, asked by Dr. Mata, on an average Friday, we would do about 36 abortions for three or four months. And he was so impressed, he said, well, I want you to come to dinner with me. So I went to dinner with him. He said, you know, I want you to become my senior resident because I've never met anybody as efficient as you and not screwing up. And you're, he said, I want you to become take over the Department of Obstetrics and eventually take over the Southern Alberta Abortuary. I said, I didn't go into medicine to do that. I went into medicine because my grandfather was dying of diabetes, and I already had my Ph.D. in oceanography and genetics, finished at age 21 by sleeping on the lab floor. I've been recruited in 1969 because I beat 7,000 people for a scholarship to MIT in nuclear physics. And the people I beat even had master's and, and, and honors degrees in physics already. So I beat 7,000 people for a PhD scholarship. I didn't want to make weapons of mass destruction. So I went into oceanography and I finished my PhD at age 21. Okay. So I went into medicine and already had a PhD in advanced medicine. I already had background in nuclear physics and advanced chemistry and genetics. So um, when Dr. Mata asked me this, I said, well, I'll think about it. I'm thinking, I don't want to do this. This is not good. I said, you know, I'm doing this only as part of my residency because I thought if they took my baby, I could take their babies, just like a lot of people have been traumatized by abortion. Well, God deals with me. I was doing evil, okay, and I wasn't going to church because I figured the church doors were heavy to keep God in, uh, from getting in the church, that the doors were there to keep Satan inside. Because I didn't have a really good opinion of churches, okay, and Christians in general, including especially Mormons after what I found out taking care of 22,500 Mormons. So I decided what I was going to do is um, uh, I went to Calgary. So that next week I was working in the intensive care nursery in 1978, and I was putting in umbilical catheters and babies and saving their lives or premies and so on. And... Uh, I was getting my OR greens, and I was pretty fit at the time. I was running 6 to 10 miles a day out in the cold, and sometimes Calgary gets very cold after Labor Day. It can drop 70 degrees, and you can go from 70 degrees to 50 degrees below zero in a couple of hours. So I sometimes drive, run out the side and actually be coughing up blood because my lungs are cracking. I'm not a smoker. So um, I, I get back to, uh, to my... Uh, resident room and I'm sleeping at night and I hear this voice say, get up, get up. You got to put this equipment into the abortuary. I said, leave me alone. I'm trying to go to sleep, you know? And I said, you get up. And of course I knew the next day they were going to do a late term abortion on a woman who was, um, 
they said was only 20 weeks, but it was a lie because she was small for days because she was a drug addict. She had a small for days baby. Because you're not permitted to do abortions beyond the 20th week. Uh, unless there were really extenuating circumstances, which there wasn't. So that lady who had, was a drug addict was going to have a small for days baby, so they decided to do a saline. So after the sixth time of telling this voice to leave me alone, the angel picked me up and threw me against the wall. And believe me, it hurt. I thought, you know, maybe I thought I, for a second there, I thought I broke something. So I got up hurting like anything, and I decided to move the overhead heater and the gomco suction and the and clamps and all the things into the abortuary. So the nurse is there looking at me, with looking at her little novel while she's reading at midnight. She says, what are you doing? I said, I'm putting this equipment in the abortuary. Okay, she puts her head back down in her book. The next day, the senior resident plunges a needle into her abdomen, and the baby's writhing like it's a B-movie. It's like horrifying, like, a, like, like oh, my God, a B-movie that scared the crap out of you. Their abdomen is just writhing. And I heard the voice of God say, and I heard this voice in my head said, get down between your legs. I did. She popped the baby. I cut the cord, put the gum suction here. Wah! And all of a sudden, Dr. Ma swung around with a scalpel and tried to drive a scalpel into my neck and cut my artery and bleed me to death in the operating room. Senior resident grabs the, uh, the orderly grabs the hand before he's within inches of cutting my neck with a scalpel. And I run out the door with the baby to the ICN and the head of family medicine catches me now. I said, Deagle, you better get the hell out of the hospital right now. Dr. Mata's packing, which means he has a gun. And he's very wealthy and powerful. He knows politicians and police and everybody. If you ever come back to this hospital and he sees you, he's going to kill you on sight. So I had to switch hospitals from the Calgary General to the Foothills. So I was now, you know. What happened to the baby? The baby survived because I got the baby to the ICN, right? So anyway, I did my residency next year at the Foothills Hospital. And when I graduated, I started taking care of Mormons. Now, Mormons are relatively pretty pro-life. If you want an abortion, you got to go through the Council of the Seventy to get a permission. And I did have some that request, and I would never refer to middle or late term because I figure those are babies. But I figure it was still a woman's right to choose because I'd lost my baby. So if they wanted an abortion. So we had a couple of cases that happened. So 1985 now, I now had met my current wife, who had been with 35 years, Michelle. We've had four children. Our youngest is Down syndrome. And... Uh, this woman comes to my office in South Calgary and she says, Dr. Deagle, I'm a Christian. I said, I'm thinking, cringe, a Christian. And she said, I've been praying and God told me to come to you. I said, well, that's good. I'm thinking, well, another patient. Good. She says, I'm diabetic. I said, that's not good because I was doing research in diabetes with some of the top doctors in the world, including at that time, the head of pathology at the University of Calgary. I did some of the most original research on insulin glucose tolerance tests in world history five years before Dr. Ravens at Stanford. The insulin glucose tolerance test was my invention with the head of pathology, Dr. Otto Hewen, 40 years ago. And we measure not only uh, insulin, but we measure glucagon, ACTH, uh, T3. I brought the reverse T3 test over from Germany. We measured uh, prolactin. We did all kinds of things nobody else in history has repeated because we spent millions, not thousands, millions of dollars of heritage trust fund money because we were ordered by the province of Alberta because somebody was going around that thought was an angel of death, killing people in hyperosmolar non-ketotic coma by giving insulin injections, because they would do the pathology, and the pathologist found their insulin levels were orbital, 600 times normal, crazy. They figured, well, that doesn't make sense. Diabetics have low insulin, which is not true, right? So 
what happens is this lady says, well, I said, well, that's nice. You're pregnant. She said, but I have no kidneys. I said, oh, my gosh. I said, if you don't have an abortion, you're dead. You're going to die here real soon. And she held my hand really warm. And she says, I'm going to pray for you right now. And I don't know why tears started to run down my face. And I said, why? She says, because I'm going to find a pro-life doctor that's going to put me on dialysis. And I'm going to have this baby. And I'm going to bring this baby back to you when I deliver it. And I, I was kind of in a state of shock. I said, oh, okay. I'm thinking this lady's nuts. She's probably going to die real soon. And guess what? Seven months later, she comes into the office with her baby. I cried so hard, I burst every blood vessel in my upper body. I couldn't talk for two days. I had to shut my office down. I realized what a monster I'd become. I had to come to Jesus talk. I realized, God, you're shaking my carcass now, aren't you? So I traveled around the country, U.S. and Canada, doing pro-life talks, going on radio. And I'd even pay for the donuts and set up the chairs and everything in churches, Catholic churches and Protestant churches. So... Several years later, I'm at one of these churches and I say, what about the case of Down syndrome? Don't you want to kill these babies that are birth defects, Down syndrome or cerebral encephalopathy and so on? And I said, no. So I, you know, I have a loud enough voice. You don't, if you get in my way, I'm louder than a 747 jet engine. You're going to lose some hearing. I'm not exactly Mr. Weak or passive. Wouldn't you know it? Within months, I got a visit. I'm snoring about 28 years ago in my home because i just come back from Georgia working in the trauma and brain units there. Worked with Dr. there in, in Augusta, Georgia, and I worked in the brain unit, the trauma unit, and the intensive care. And uh, I come back and I ran a multi-doctor practice in, in outside the Halifax International Airport. And I'm sleeping in my living room downstairs because I'm waking up my wife because I'm starting to have very bad snoring because I was getting the initial signs of obstructive apnea 28 years ago. And I wake up, and right standing in front of me is this guy in a, like a $5,000 tuxedo. And I said, what? How did you get in? I said, the door was unlocked. I said, yeah, we don't lock the doors here in Enfield, Nova Scotia. He said, who are you? He said, I'm the Pindar. I'm thinking, what the heck is that? He said, it's wonderful to see you, my son. I said, you're not my father. Who are you? He said, I'm ask I want you to become my understudy and take over my position when I ascend. I said, what do you mean ascend? He said, we have one problem with you. He said, you wrote these books, Clay and Iron and Abortion Armageddon. I said, the only one who knows it is my wife. It's in a laptop in the corner of my bedroom, dictated audibly by God on my concrete floor with my nose against the concrete several years before. And I said, I know you're a devil. And I rebuke you in the name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, I'm going to kill you, Dr. Bill Deagle, and I'm going to touch your baby girl's heart. And I said, I have three sons, Matthew, Stephen, and Christopher. He said, I'm going to kill you, Deagle. And he showed me a vision of my body being taken in a casket away in an aircraft. And he showed me touching his, my baby girl's heart. I said, I have three sons. And he repeated it. And I said, I rebuke you in the gate of God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I'm called as a prophet and apostle of the Most High and it was prophesied 2,000 years ago, I'd be a prophet as Moses at the time of the end of history. He said, we know. And he disappeared in front of me in a cloud. Just boom, gone. Five feet in front of me. That day I did a pregnancy test to my wife, Michelle. She was pregnant. Six weeks later, I'm sitting in the Isaac Walton Killam Hospital. And I was one of the first doctors in the world trained in ultrasound. So I worked under Dr. McMillan in medical school because I was one of their smartest medical students. 
And we were working conjointly with Harvard, actually developing the technology for ultrasound. This is like back in the 70s, right? 76. So I hear the technician going, oh, oh, oh. So I walk over to the monitor and I can see a giant endocardial cushion defect and nuchal thickening. And there was no handle. I knew it was a little girl. And I started to cry. <sighs> and my mouth dried up. I realized the son of a bitch touched my little baby girl. So the radiologist said, you got to come to my office with my wife, Michelle. So we go down to her office, and she's got her coat flapping, and she's walking real fast. And she stood there while we're sitting there. She said, well, if, she said, you need to consider abortion immediately. This baby's not going to even probably survive birth. The heart defect is so large, I've never seen one like this. And if it does, it'll need to be fed by a feeding tube because it probably won't even be able to swallow if it survives C-section. So I stopped and I prayed because by this time, if I pray, God will actually talk to me audibly. And here's what I got because I had a couple minutes waiting for her. God said to her, say this, Sarai, the wife of Abraham, cried in the tent, tears of blood for my little daughter, Kelsey Maria, that you want to kill a little daughter of Israel and Moshe. And she turned around and walked out of the room like she had seen a ghost. So they decided a Jewish geneticist harassed me day and night for weeks. You got to consider abortion. This is going to ruin your career. You got to do da, da, da. I said, you better stop calling me. I said, or I'm going to do something here you're not going to like. In other words, you know, there's a point at which Stephen Deagle has got a nasty side. My little daughter. She had her first surgery at six and a half months. Her heart was reading so fast, it was like 160 plus beats a minute. She lost four ounces from her birth weight to her operating room weight. So I'm there, and I'm at my office in Enfield, and I got a call, and a spiritual call. God said, get down to the ICU now. So I had to drive to Halifax, and, and uh, God says, if you don't get to the uh, intensive care, she's going to bleed to death. I get in there. And they've been so sloppy, the umbilical catheter almost popped out and she nearly bled to death, and I clamped it and saved her life. So in October 10th, 1993, this is after, the you know, what, what's going on here now. Here I was. I was praying face down in my bedroom on a Sabbath, a Saturday, and uh, I'd already received clay and iron and abortion Armageddon literally audibly on my floor, and God said, when people think you know Hebrew and Greek and you can say their ironic prayer like Baruch Atai Adonai Melech Alam, and they know that you know all these things, they're going to think you're such a genius. He said, tell them you're not. Tell them you're wise and you have a superior intellect, but you receive wisdom from the Most High, which is not limited, it's infinite. And it comes from me, not from you, Bill. And make sure they're reminded of that. So they will not put limitations on what you can say and tell them. I said, I will, God. So... He gave me the books Clay and Iron and Abortion Armageddon. And I later traveled with, in 1999 to 1998. I was listening to Alex Jones on my show, on my, on my radio in Littleton, Colorado. And um, I decided to call into Alex's show in December of, two, of 2004. Because they already had a show on Clear Channel on Wednesday nights in the mid-90s called Laughter is the Best Medicine with Mark Allen Curry, who's a comedian from Hollywood. We try to make people laugh, but also give them some truth and some medical issues to try to help them get them well. I have two hours every Wednesday night in the major studios downtown Denver to right across the country. 
1999, I traveled to 42 cities in Israel because I had already received the book Clay and Iron and Abortion Armageddon earlier. I told Stan, I told the, um, the, uh, Stan Johnson that the, uh, about my personal story. So he said, well, I, I want to come visit you. So he came and visited me when I was living in, uh, in, um, just south of Littleton on Highlands Ranch. I was working at the time doing occupational medicine. He says, we spent an entire evening talking. He says, you know what? Um, we're going to keep in touch. I said, okay. So he calls me about two months later that they're going to have a big international conference downtown, uh, downtown, uh, Denver, uh, evangelism conference with a major evangelist from South Africa. Now that night, the night before that happened, God sent the angel and says, you're going to take over the conference for 90 minutes, Bill. So I stood up the entire night praying. And the next morning, about 5.30 in the morning, I got a panic call from him saying, hey, Bill, something catastrophic's happened. I said, I know. I said, how do you know, Deagle? I said, the angel visited me and told me I was going to take over the conference for 90 minutes. He said, you're right. This guy's so sick, he's barfing up blood and everything. So I did get to the conference. There's thousands and thousands of people from all over the world at the old church for uh, Catherine Coleman's old church in downtown Denver. And in the back, they want me to talk about dreams and visions. They want to talk about the pro-life stuff. They wanted me to talk about dreams and visions and about the things that I saw when I was a little eight-and-a-half-year-old boy about the nuclear attack against America and the coming of the time of the end. Because remember, the guy that I trained under when I did my PhD in bacteriology and oceanography was a bioweaponeer in 1972. He was working at Bethesda and Rutgers campus in an underground facility making the T-virus, which is a deadly bioweapon virus U.S. government had in DARPA. And he was one day in 10 years, he was sick, and all of his friends got incinerated 2,000 degrees because the virus got out of containment, and they incinerated everyone. And he cried at the restaurant there telling me because we were such good friends. But what happened? This is a long time ago, 72. So I'm a bioweaponeer. So after I worked at CECOM, where I got, you know, after this October 10th thing, and the angel brought me, I said, well, what, where's the city? And he was cracking jokes at me, thinking I'm an idiot, which I was, obviously. And he was a big guy. I would say spiritually, he was like a giant, like eight foot plus tall. And he brought me to the underground facilities that, you know, where they're walking through the supercomputer array underground. And he brought me through places where they're making I-triple bombing, ferromagnetic chips, and where they're building rockets to put up to the space station and all kinds of stuff. Explaining all the technology in exquisite detail. And after hours and hours of being with the angel... He said, I said, well, where is it? He wouldn't tell me the city. He said, he's having a good time getting a good laugh out of this. I said, give me a clue. He said, well, there's Pastor Dutch Sheets, S-H-E-E-T-S. I said, Sheets, Sheets. I know him. He's a pastor from Christ for the Nation from Dallas. Cool. So after this vision was over, the next day I called Christ for the Nation in Dallas. They said, oh, no, he already moved to Colorado Springs to set up Springs Harvest Fellowship. I said, Cool. So I call around all the hospitals and everywhere to find a placement agencies or jobs because it's like it's like the Christian Mecca for people who are non-Catholic. If you're non-Catholic and you're a Protestant, Colorado Springs is like Rome for non for non-Catholics. So there were no jobs. So I said, I'm gonna leave it in your hands, God. So in February, my wife Michelle, she got a dream that she should just start calling the hospitals. Second hospital she called, she got a call back from Joyce Wolf from the California Senate for what's called the uh, St. Francis Hospital and CECOM or Colorado Center for Ahmed. And they asked her, did she ever, do I ever did research that was occupational? I said, well, he worked with the 
Dr. John Woodbury, the head of the American Canadian Arthritis Association, doing immunotoxicology and 26,000 cases. He did statistical analysis. He worked with UCLA doing work on toxicology causing cancer and cardiac conduction problems and autoimmunity. And he worked with Stu Donaldson for years working in his office on surface electromyography. Oh, great. We'll fly him down. Four days later, I got the job next to Major Swinder, the commander of CECOM that had all the classified projects in Colorado. Now, you have to understand Colorado is the center for the new world order for the entire planet. Let me interject for a second, if I might. You're mentioning Colorado here. In the past few weeks, I've been discussing Colorado a lot. Before I say that, have you ever heard of the book by Chan Thomas called The Adam and Eve Story, The History of Cataclysms? No. We're going to discuss that later. Yeah, I want to get into that. I want you to raise questions because, you see, the the thing I crave on my show, which uh, right now I'm at CRN, and I just uh, recently talked to the people over at, at GCN because I, I left there after 14 and a half years because I was there were issues that I wanted to deal with, and I'm re-talking to them again. But I, my greatest crave is not that people believe me, but people ask questions. That's what I plan to do now. Because with- I want people to ask questions. So let, let me just finish my story here. So okay. what happens is here I am. <clears throat> I uh, see all these things, and I get the job, and nine months to the day later after I had security clearance and I have the job, on September 10th, 1994, or July 10th, 1994, after I was October 10th, to the day, like a birth, I walk through the same facilities two miles underground. For example, we went through Shriver. My guide had to go through a laser retinal scanner. We held on the side walls of the elevator, and he said, now hold on to the sidewall clamps because the walls are padded. Because your feet are going to go off the floor, you're going to go drop in zero gravity. I said, you're kidding. So we dropped miles down, miles, to the underground city. And they had a 440-seat digital theater that was built with former digital engineers from Disney Corp. I walked through, I've been through the most classified facilities in the world. In fact, the largest facility in the world underground is under Denver International Airport. It's 81 square miles. And it goes down many levels. And the World Spaceport is at Denver International Airport. The alternate capital of the United States is Colorado Springs. The alternate head of the CIA and NSA is Denver, Colorado. It's the center of the beast. The primary node for the virtual world project, which is at Shriver Air Force Base, Falcon, Colorado, 18 miles east of Colorado Springs and Garbage Dump Road, is the node at Falcon, two miles underground at U.S. Space Command, Military Defense Command, and I was their doctor for years. In fact, I was a doctor after even I left there, because what happened is, in, uh, in, uh, when I worked there at CECOM, one, uh, we had uh, my, my boss, Major Swinder, was doing um, airtime in Fort Hood, Texas. So I had to do the exit e- examination on the military team that did the forensic explosives. Because I'm an expert on high explosives. I made solid fuel rockets and high explosives when I was 12, 13, 14. I have a background in nuclear physics. So guess who was the doctor that examined the munitions team from the Murrah building? And previously, the people who were at the Cobar Towers in Riyadh, it was Deagle, me. And one of the five told me in great detail how they were exposed to radiation. He showed me a rash. I said, oh, my. He said, I want to have normal kids. We didn't have rad suits. I hope you learned the the reason why the Alfred Pimora building vanished. Well, the reason why they did that is because they put the medical records for our veterans exposed to the experimental Iraq-based anthrax vaccine and the depleted uranium in, in burn pits and depleted uranium, what's called the blue fire of conflict with the direct, uh, with the depleted uranium munition shells. And so what happened is years later, of course, this is fast forwarding, 
uh, John B. Wells is a good friend of mine, and he has his own private video audio network. And he was interviewing uh, uh, Cody Snodgrass. And within days after they interviewed him, they tried to kill him in Colorado. And so John B. Wells, I was talking to him because I was trying to get him on my show. And he said, hey, you should interview this guy, Cody. So I did months later. And within days, they tried to kill him again. Now, Cody doesn't have a trackable phone because Cody's terrified. So all of his sites have continuously rehacked. He has to post his books on a website in Europe and the Netherlands in order to be able to get it out there, you know. And by the way, because of Cody Snodgrass and Ola Damagar, good friend of mine, right. that right. was the main reason why we got censored last year and deplatformed and demonetized. The whole thing started because of my interview with Cody. Right. Now, Cody's good friend was my good friend who I've had in the last three months is Greg Ford. Greg Ford connected me to General Janice Karpinski, who will be on soon. Susan Lindauer has been on the last month. Uh, Barbara Honegger has been on the last month, who's got a uh, a uh, legal counsel with Dan Sheehan. You're both attorneys with a, with a grand jury already impaneled in New York City, opening up the 9-11. Dan Sheehan, the, the, uh, the attorney for the Vatican? Uh, he's a Jesuit. He's a, yeah, he's a... He's a major attorney, and he's, he's got a good heart, but got a lot of people even on these high-level Masons. People have to understand something that I know that most people, especially Christians, don't conceive. Almost all the good works in the world are done by high-level Masons and also the evil. And the reason is the Luciferic principle is Satan is not transforming to an angel of light. He is an angel of light. Most of the good works done on earth are done by minions of Lucifer and all of the evil. He does both. Now, God's definition of good is to do his will, but Satan's view is that I know so much God, I'm the most intelligent, creative being, I can do it my way, and that's what he taught Eve, is that you're so great, Eve, you made it from the rib of Adam, you don't need to consult God again or pray, you already have named every organism, you live over 900 years, you don't need to pray and ask God. So when, they, when God met them in the garden after Satan, the Lucifer, the serpent met them, he says, you are naked. They weren't just naked physically, they were naked spiritually because they weren't asking God's opinion of what is good and evil. See, the definition of good is to do God and add an extra O. And what Lucifer does is he preaches a deceptive gospel where he teaches people to do good and evil. Look at the Shriners. The Shriner hat is based on nine centuries ago, the Muslims dipping their hats in the beheaded waters of the recycling fountains that turned their hat red and put a scimitar in the front of it. So they do good works and evil works. So all high-level Masons in every nation, no matter what religion it is, whether it's uh, Muslim, Christian, uh, Chinese, Communist, Russian, whatever, all every government on earth, every legal system on earth, every medical system on earth, every politician on earth, every church on earth, including most Christians, have do good and evil. They do both, which is why God says, I know you not. Get away from me, you doer of evil. And I'm getting them to repent because I am the modern incarnation of the spirit of Moses in my flesh. And people have to know, who is Deagle? <clears throat> Deagle has put myself and my even my soul on the line for the human race. And for that reason, he said, when you do evil, I will shake your carcass and make you a son again. And they will know, and this year, they will know, not just in their intellect saying, he's a nut, this guy's a Deagle's a nut. They will know that this is the end of human history. You have but to understand, I, things, I don't mean to interject, but we, we, I have to interject. You have to understand that on this platform, Veritas, people are used to a certain level of communication. Right. I say this with all due respect, but when they hear what you're saying, they're going to be looking at me. They're going to be sending me messages. 
and they're going to ask me. I expect that. You see, the thing is, I expect rejection. Right. No, but hold on. No. They're going to say, Mel, can you corroborate? Can you find the, the authenticity of this guest of yours? And I'm just, I want to just be upfront with everybody. For right. years, I've been asked to interview you. And I decided, let's do it. We finally connected and let's do it because I don't censor anybody. But a lot of the information you're sharing, a lot of people are going to be wondering, how can we confirm that what you're saying is true? Well, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. A good friend of mine is Jeff Rents. I've been doing shows with his thing for like almost 15 years. Jeff Rents has been doing, he worked at NBC years ago. He's had a show for like 26 years. So on January 9th, I called Jeff and I said, look, I've been working with John W. Spring. Now, John W. Spring was the initial whistleblower in 1960 at 22 of the Cuban Missile Crisis. This guy's got an IQ over 220. And he was so intelligent, he actually figured out that the Russians had missiles in Cuba. He also was the same whistleblower of the 1983 uh, under Reagan of the Grenada Island uh, Russian missiles that were there. And we had to rescue the people from Grenada. So I called my friend John, who's been on my show for years. I said, John, look, I was sitting at my desk. This is about two and a half years ago. And I said, God said, I want you to pray, Bill. I said, okay, God, I'll pray. Because I don't want to pray for stuff that he doesn't want to tell me. Because he said, if you pray and you ask me to tell you stuff that I don't want you to, I will still tell you it if you keep persisting. But you'll have to carry that knowledge to your grave and suffer. I said, okay, God, I got it. All right? So people think, well, he knows everything. No, I don't. I know a few three-by-five cards. And the rest of it, God gives me in time. This year, he's allowing me to say things I've hidden even for 60 years that I knew since I was eight. So what people need to understand, when I called Jeff, I said, Jeff, I got this story. John W. Spring went and corroborated after several months of research. He's been watching Nicaragua with, with Cortez and the Russian uh, bear bombers there and the hypersonic cruise missiles in their long runway for the Etna 124 jets for 10 years. And I, when I told uh, John W. Spring two, over two years ago, he was a little shocked. He said, well, I'm going to research. So after about two or three months, he did his research. And he said, my gosh, Bill, you're right. I get all the corroborating evidence because he proved, researched it, right? John W. Spring. And we have all his letters. If you listen to hour three for the last years, you'll hear us talking about we have video channels on our YouTube channel with the actual letters we've been sending POTUS, Donald J. Trump, for two and a half years, Right. And on January 9th, I called Jeff Rents and I said, Jeff, I got this story I want you to post up. He said, okay. He said, well, I'll post it if you can get satellite photos. So I went back to my desk and I started praying. I said, God, you got to give me satellite photos. Two and a half hours later, God told me where to go on the sewer net. And I had satellite photos of the actual installation in Laurasheela Island. Visual satellite proof of what we're saying is true. Okay. This morning, this morning, after years of John W. Spring sending letters and not getting a proper response, because John, back in August last year, he's getting pretty frustrated because this is a very intelligent man. He's now in his 80s, right? Very intelligent guy. And uh, John W. Spring said, you know, Bill, I'm very frustrated back in August of last year. And I said, well, John, and I prophesied on the show live <clears throat> that on September 12th, you're going to get a personal letter signed by Donald J. Trump, president of the United States. On that day, he received a letter, but it was a direct echo of letters he'd received for the previous year and a half plus that indicated he was not agreeing to the idea that there were missiles in in Nicaragua or La Chila Island, uh, in Venezuela or, La, or the the Orinoco River where there are nuclear submarines. God showed me them actually tunneling the sidewalls with nuclear warheads. 
or hypersonic cruise missiles. So we got very frustrated. So I said, well, I'm going to put it, bump it up. I'm going to bump it up and I'm going to do more and more actions. Like I've contacted RTTV. I've contacted the, uh, the, uh, Epic news. I'm trying to do other things. I last July, I transferred to CRN talk radio out of Los Angeles because I was just working with post rents on my own with a board op after I left Genesis because Genesis was trying to kind of hold me down. Because in 19, uh, in 2007, after I went to get a little more airtime over at Republic Radio from Genesis after I started in February of 2005, Alex Jones called me and said, Bill, I want you to come back and become a co-host. I said, good. You can come right after me and you can do hours a day. I said, great, I'll do two hours a day, Monday to Friday. By this time, I was retired from regular practice, and there's a big story there too. And I said, okay. So... um a few months later, he had this professor on Jones from Utah, from Brigham Young University. He was an expert on nukes. And Jones said, we know that the World Trade Center Towers was brought down by demolitions, but it was brought down by nanothermite. I said, well, it's a lot more than nanothermite because I had the actual data from the U.S. Geological. And I've been trying to do radiation toxicology at labs like Geordie Labs here in America and other labs like my alma mater, labs in Germany, England, and elsewhere for years. In fact, to give a lecture in 2007... At the Van- at, in Vancouver on five different topics, and one of them was on the fact that I was doing radiation toxicology using what's called neutron spectroscopy of the isotope fingerprint of the nukes that were used inside the World Trade Center. And when I told this to uh, Alex, he got so angry, he actually said, stop calling me. You're like a sexual predator. I'll tell the staff if you come near me, they'll get calling to try to come back on a program. I'm going to do something. So he banned my commercials being on his show. He banned me coming on his show. And I told this to Ted Anderson. It was one of my things. It was a great period of grief because I believe in what's called radio collegiality. If you've got something to say, you come on my show and do a cameo. I don't care. You can disagree with me as long as we have a dialogue. I don't care. I like dialogue. I don't have to have agreement in order to have a dialogue, right? I want people to realize we can sharpen ourselves by dialoguing. But other hosts on the show, including Power Hour, she got pretty upset with me because if people try to intellectually fence with Deagle and think they're just going to overpower me, it's a bad day for them. Because I have not, to my day yet, met a single human being on Earth that's quicker or smarter than me, period. Not. They may know more in one area of science or something than I do, but there's nobody that I've ever met that's actually quicker or smarter, period. But you understand that when you make statements like the one you just said— there should always be some humility when people speak no, no, out. No, 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 no. Let me explain about the difference between humility. Let me explain. I have been crushed. I was a murderer of babies. I had a little Down syndrome girl, and I had to repent. Okay? And there's a situation going on right now in my family where somebody's pregnant, but they're considering that if the baby's abnormal or Down syndrome, they're going to terminate them. You have to understand Humility is not hiding my gifts and my abilities and my horrifying experiences under a bushel basket. That's a false humility. Real humility is is giving God all the credit. When I don't know an answer to a question, and I tell people, I know the answer to things where I'm not an expert in 10 to 15% of the time, but guess what? You can literally ask me a question on anything on earth, even if I have no training in it, and I will break the problem down instantly because God will already speak to me while you're asking the question. And you have people understand I'm not just a person, I'm a phenomena. 
And that ticks people off because they want to think he's an arrogant son of a bitch. No, I I'm understand. Not. I understand what you're saying. But when let's do the ability to try to hide it. And I'm not hiding it anymore. This year, all hell is going to break loose. We could have we could have, for example, the weapon of indignation. Russia could get into conflict with Iran and hit our, our, our power grid with a cyber attack or a high altitude hypersonic cruise missile traveling 27 times the speed of sound. And our power grid could go down and the human race will destroy itself with violence cannibalism and power outages and hypothermia and diarrhea. I agree with, I agree with and you. You know what? You know, everybody wants to kind of soft soap and say, you know, you got to soften your message. You got to, no, I don't. My message is titanium, allied hard. And it's, and I'm like the ancient prophets like Jeremiah with us caravans going by. They have to face the fact. What I say is pretty damned ugly. Yes. But let's make this a dialogue and not a monologue with all the right, respect. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. When you say that I'm the smartest and this and that, you can understand how this can turn people off. Why don't we let I the evidence? Care. I'm not care. I want them to be turned off. But I understand. I want, but but there's I no reason. Here's what I know. Let me get my point across. Okay. okay. Because it's something that I get hit over and over again. I want them to be turned off. I want them to feel a rev revulsion for me because I'm not saying this. I see. I, I you know what I say on my show. The most important thing is to ask better questions. I say. I will die for you like I promised God when I came back from heaven at eight, 60 years ago, but I will not lie to you even if it kills me. And the problem is, is see, they want me to be mushy and make them feel good and fuzzy inside, and they want me to, to pretend that I'm not who I am. It's like if there really was a real Superman, okay, and he could fly at the speed of light and he could have laser vision and all these things, you have to understand I don't have these supernatural gifts of flying at the speed of light and so on. But intellectually and spiritually, I am Clark Kent. And it may piss people off because you can't say that because it's just arrogant. No, it isn't. If you don't agree with me, fence with me, please. I beg people to call into my show. Do you know what? I haven't had a good caller to my show for nine years. The last time was a doctor who called in who disagreed with me about vaccines. And when I finished, he started over six foot tall. When I finished, he was shorter than the dwarf on Game of Thrones. I don't try to hide it and say, oh, well, you're just arrogant. No, I'm not. I'm driven. I'm so scared of what I see coming. You have no idea. I'm, I, I wake up at night realizing how close we are and the amount of opposition I've had from radio hosts, networks, media, even today. You know what Elevon said today? We are, your credit is 800 and some. You got everything right. But you know what? Because you said that 9-11 was an inside job and the government did it, They would not process my credit cards and transfer from Chase Bank to do it. That's the only reason they listened to my show why I couldn't get my credit cards because Elevon, L-A-V-O-N, will not process it because I'm a conspiracy theorist. Now, yes, I'm my very existence is an offense to people. There is no one like me. I'm not like Alex Jones or any of the people on Gen 6 or any pastor you've ever heard. That's because God made me unique, and I'm not here to be a nice little, you know, puppet to try to tell you, hey, you know what I want to say to people? I challenge you. If you think you're smarter than me and you know something more than me, teach me. I don't care if you got grade three and you had a physical experience or something you've gone through, you can teach me. But if you try to fence with me intellectually and you think you're going to get away with it, I'm going to take out my intellectual bone saws and lasers and I'm going to cut you up so violently You can't imagine it. I, I hear what you're saying, but allow me to just respond to that. Like any martial artist, you use your attributes when you need to. 
no, 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 I had another. I didn't say, see, here's the problem I have. This year, give an example how bad things are, okay? I got intel agents contact inside the government. I have people I can call in the Pentagon, CENTCOM, Homeland Security, NSA. I have them contacting me, okay, after my show. I have to tell you, I got contacts inside Israel. Israel is right now at the point where if Iran says they're going to enrich the uranium at the Bashir reactor, they're going to bomb it. That means the Strait of Hormuz will close. If they get in a conflict, Damascus is prophesied in the Bible. It will be a place for hoot owls. It's the most continuous lived city on earth where my great-grandfather and grandmother lived with their caravan, the Bashas, traveling to China. That city will be blown up with nukes from Israel because if they get in a conflict, a lot of the people in Israel are going to die. And they're not going to get a big warning, a seven-year treaty and all this crap. We could be standing on the precipice even during this next year before the election even of catastrophe. And God's restrained me to not know what the timeline is. But I can tell you, I am desperate because you know what? I wish there were hundreds of people like me out there. And I'm calling together the best ones I can get. People like Greg Ford, who's a Christian. Susan Lindauer said, look, if you're not a Christian, Deagle, I'm not even going to let you interview me. Barbara Honiger, uh, General, General Janice Karpinski, who will be coming on the show. People need to understand, they, I don't mind if they are offended by my desperateness. I want them, even if they feel like I want to vomit or turn off the damn radio, I want them to know I have my, my heart is, I don't care if you hate me. I love you anyway. I want to save you from physical destruction and eternal separation and just annihilation by God. By the way, people, I love Susan Lindauer, but isn't General Karpinski the one who was in charge of Abu Ghraib? Exactly. I haven't interviewed her yet. She's coming on the program. And of course, she's probably a little nervous because, you see, I look at the good and bad. For example, we've identified issues regarding even Trump. We've identified that this guy, uh, Qasim Soleimani, yes. was in the green zone, a diplomatic passport, and we actually invited him to come down to Baghdad to the U.S. Embassy. I heard that, too. And he was in an American vehicle when we hit him with a Hellfire missile, blew his staff up of 20, and an Iraqi general who worked with us and Qasim Soleimani to kill ISIS. So you got to understand here, Trump acted no differently than a mob boss that's killing a former mob boss of a different district. Let's discuss that in part two, but we have to take a one and only break. I want to just let the audience know, before we take the break, it's just because a lot of people are asking me, please ask Dr. Deagle about the coronavirus that's happening in China. I'll tell you everything about it. I remember I was trained as a bioweaponer. I was appointment of Reserve Admiral John Hughes with the FBI and CDC in Operation Top Off and Dark Winter. We had war game simulations on the supercomputer in NOAA. We worked at a simulation in downtown Denver with a sprayer at the second floor window was pretend, pretend now, anthrax. And we went to the local hospital to see if they pick it up. We had a war game simulation at the Performing Arts Center. And guess what? We killed everybody. And I met him again in March of 2001 at the Adams Park Hotel with the director for infectious disease the director of the FBI, CDC, and FEMA, and I was the main man sitting at this table with these guys and we're asking them plausibly deniable questions. And they told me they were going to release anthrax and have nuclear bombs go off in New York City that year. That was before 9-11. That was months before even they renditioned Susan Lindauer in May. In March, I knew about this. Now, you got to remember, I was the guy that got death threats from being in Oklahoma City uh, because I was the exit examiner, okay? So why am I alive? It's because everybody's got a red line, even guys that are bad inside different agencies of the military, even like people like Corey and Cody Snodgrass. I'm sure he did some things he regrets now. But everybody's got a red line, and they're afraid that I'll push these guys beyond the red line, and they're not going to do it. That's why the sheriffs are fighting against this governor, Nutball, 
in, in, in there was Virginia. Red, red flag laws invented in Virginia. Yeah. That's why the United Nations is now advertising to actually get people that are going to start putting Americans in civil detention. That's why when I prophesied in 1999, 21 years ago, when I went to Portland, Oregon, I said I saw two visions. I had a vision, one of a native woman tied up in buckskins and thrown into the volcano of Mount Hood. And the second vision was men wiring in and, and welding shackles into former cattle cars. And two men stood up in the audience and said that. Well, I repeated that a, a month ago when I had Greg Ford on my video on, on YouTube. And one of my audience that listened to that contacted me and says, yes, I was there just a few years ago in North Dakota. And another man cried when he heard, heard me talking about this. And he repented of the fact he'd already welded in 40,000 shackles the previous week. Reason why I asked you about Denver earlier on. After reading this book by Chan Thomas, who apparently was a scientist working for the government, he was commissioned by the government to do research on ancient books. And that book that he wrote was banned by the CIA, and the only copy available is redacted. But I obtained a copy of the original one, and okay. I had a, a flight to take, and four hours I read it. And I have to say, it resonated a lot that we are the sixth incarnation on this planet of advanced civilization. And apparently there have been five other cataclysms, one being the last one, Adam and Eve, before that, the the, uh, the uh, Noah, and apparently uh, suspicious observers and many others are speculating that what we're seeing around the world right now with the volcanoes, the earthquakes, and the weather could be the next one. And this is probably why the United States government COGS is moving to Denver. I want to get your take on this when we come back. That, that's exactly right. I'll give you, I'll tell you things that you've never heard before. And I want to get a copy of that book or you can get a photocopy and send some to me because, and you can ask me any question. Go ahead when we come back. But how can people learn more about your work? People, when they hear me, just like they hear them now, people are going to be terrified. Like this guy's definitely got to be crazy. He's an arrogant maniac and I'm not. They have to understand I'm desperate because I know things that most other human beings will never know. They'll never be in the position I have. Not secondhand, but damn well firsthand. And it scares the hell out of me that people don't realize this is serious. When Elevon today denied me after a rating, the highest possible uh, rating for my credit, and 15 years of working with me, we left because we want to get a better rating else when we come back. It was because of 9-11, they wouldn't reaccept me to actually process my, my credit cards. How do people learn more about your work? What website and so on? The main website is Nutramedical, N-U-T-R-I. Medical, M-E-D-I-C-A-L.com. <clears throat> the religious site is clayandiron.com. Clay being human flesh, iron being the trans-dimensional entities and avatar world leaders. Clayandiron.com, which is above top secret. I have also a private Vimeo channel. I'm going to start posting up videos. $30 subscription a month to get access. We have uh, the most advanced anti-aging, life extension, and pathogen uh, killing technology on Earth. I do 98% uh, of my consults are free. You just simply contact me, want to know what nutraceuticals or technology, what tests to do with your doctor, and I will email or call you back anywhere in the world on any platform free. But if you want a consult, want me to look at test results, x-rays, or send test kits to you anywhere in the world, you go, you contact me, you go to the First Nations Native Board, which I have people sign up, send me an 11-page intake history form, all your lab reports, x-rays. I have 50 labs plus in America and labs overseas I use, including RGCC test lab in, in Athens, Greece. And I do a video recording of our review of your x-ray, MRI scan, PET scans, genetic analysis, whatever. And I will then send you the hyperlink of the video so you can see it afterward. 
I connect with clinics to do stem cell therapy, surgery, detox all over the world, Germany, America, Britain, Canada. And uh, I'm one of the chief teachers in the Academy of Anti-Aging, Environmental Advancement in Medicine. So you have to understand who Dr. Nicholas God promised me he would give me the years of Methuselah back to mankind. Last July, I got the first product in the world that stops aging. It's Red Deer Velvet DR and Capsule Gel. It preserves all the same biomolecules you have when you're in utero and six hormones. And you only start to die when they cut your umbilical cord. That's why it's not your birth date, it's your death date. You can't start, you do not start to die until the cord is cut. And what this product does supplies you with the biomolecules if you have stem cell and exosome therapy and epigenetic frequency therapy, which I'm pioneering. I can turn back on your genes with a scalar frequency technology I've developed, which God's inspired me to know. I can also turn it evil. It's a good thing I'm a good man because I don't want to make phase array scalar weapons that can affect you thousands of miles away. But I'm not. I'm Anakin Sky Deagle, not Darth Deagle. Thank God. <laughs> when we come back, folks, and I promise you, folks, part two. It's going to be a dialogue. Would you agree with me? It's going to be a dialogue. I want to hear a dialogue. You see, I, I want to give all this information because people, I want to shock people into a new state of saying, you know, I'm so angry with this guy who's an arrogant, you know, I, but I want them to understand I'm desperate to get the truth and I want them to ask questions if they think of my soul. And I want to have people ask questions because I crave people to ask questions because they won't accept the truth unless they ask a question in their heart and their soul and want to know, at their level of this, whether it's, you know, kindergarten level, that's okay. I want to bring them along to make sure they understand that I am their big brother. I am the Moses for this day to bring, as Moses brought him to the desert of, of the Middle East, I'm bringing mankind and prophesying to bring him to the desert of the cosmos and the universe. That is my job, to bring the queen of heaven, the bride of the creator God, the human race. When we become trillions and quadrillions and we have extended lifespan and spread across the cosmos, I am prophesying the come uh, of the Messiah, which is God in the spirit, to marry the human race and make us co-equal as a collective, the human race with the greater God, because his spirit and our souls, we will only do good because we will do only his will. Understood. But when we come back, please, folks, don't get upset if I am shotgunning a lot of questions because we have a lot of them. And Yeah, you can ask more and I can come back. And remember, call into my show or listen to my videos. I do Vimeo YouTube videos every day. I have lots of experts on. Um, the thing I crave most is questions because people, they're afraid to ask. Or even when I get my co-hosts on, I said, you know, I ask them three questions. And I do this with real smart co-hosts like my guy, Lowell Ponte. Who's but let me to interrupt you because we have to break. This is Mel Fabricus. My special guest today is Dr. Bill Deagle. See you in the member section. Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest, and all of our material, proceed to the member section, or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting, Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, for Focus Life Force Energy, MMS, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Divinia Water, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the members section or subscribe, to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas.
because you don't want to believe. You want to know.